Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. And you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. It's nearly one o'clock in the morning. Dominic team hasn't even come into his press conference yet. Um, but he is into the semi-finals of the Australian Open for the first time in his entire life, um, which means that the world number one, Rafael Nadal, is no more in the 2020 Australian Open. We will be having a new men's singles finalist because it is going to be the Dominic team or Alexander Zverev. And what a night. What a performance from team and such a match rich in different types of entertainment entertainment Catherine Whitaker yeah but you know it wasn't straightforward it wasn't it wasn't linear it was just all over the shop it was a roller coaster it was a meandering journey well I I would say first of all god it feels good to be right (laughs) for a change oh yeah we got one right given that we all backed team I just thought I should put that out there yeah given that we're wrong most of the time yeah. some of us put our hypothetical money where our mouth is <laughs> yeah so, some of us picked Sarah as well hey I'm on fire today uh, but anyway let's not worry about that let's just start with this team Nadal match I've, I've just nice bit name drop just walked straight past him uh, Nadal as he came out of the uh, press conference and he still has the politeness to say hello as he's walking past absolutely crestfallen after having been beaten um, and he he got beaten at his own game today and then some but I, it was interesting talking to Marian Bartoli in the BBC radio commentary box this wasn't the same at, uh, from my vantage point as the US Open match where he was just blitzing winners and it was go for broke tennis at all costs this time he just stood toe to toe with him and said I'm the stronger, I'm the faster, I'm the guy with the bigger shots, and I can grind you down. It is absolutely the difference between team, the tennis player on a hard court 18 months ago when he played Nadal in that US Open match. It was largely hit and hope tennis, I thought. He was always hanging on, or you always felt like he was hanging on. Whereas now he has conviction and he has strategy and he genuinely believes he can win these big matches, and he can. Until he's serving for the match. Until he's serving for the match or have any <laughs> any sort of match points whatsoever. Um, but it's such a difference. He, you, and you believe with him now because... Because, yeah, his tennis is as good as Nadal's on a hard court. And Nadal has... Is better. Is better. 
Nadal has denied in his in his press conference that he was feeling agitated was the word that was trying to be put to him in his press conference he didn't quite understand that in English but frustrated um, but watching him watching his reactions it certainly felt like he was more frustrated because of what team was doing to him because of the way team as you said David was beating him with his own brand of tennis with topspin ground strokes with physical rallies from the baseline it wasn't like he was being hit off the court by a big server who was just taking Nadal's time away and beating him on a fast grass court like we've seen it wasn't, and, and it wasn't like that it's not like he's got the, the Djokovic kryptonite of, of, a, of an absolutely established formula yeah. team was just working it out as he went and he decided to just go toe to toe and Basically, he manhandled Rafael Nadal for the best part of four hours. He was the guy making things happen, Dominic Team. He was the he was he was both standing toe to toe with Nadal, but also the one saying, "I've had enough of this rally. I'm going for it now." Mm. Um, he was the one taking the chances but with margin for error he was the one he was the playmaker out there he really really was um he took my breath away tonight barring a couple of uh couple of games where it was i mean when he served for the match in the fourth it was a double fault and three forehand errors it was as as um visual and palpable a, a a choke as you'll ever see and he, he admitted as much in his on-court interview Did with he? Jim Courier yeah um, but it was so it was so human um, how that's why, obvious that's, it was that's that why he he's just, one of the reasons people like him so much as well though isn't it because you can see it mm. you can see that human in, it, he, he's not able to act like Nadal and Federer mm. do and put that face on he, he, it's um, it's creeping out from every pore but the interesting thing was even though he was a, a breakdown in both the first two sets, he still felt like the better player. It was kind of difficult to understand how he got himself a breakdown. I um, did, there was never a point where I thought team is the second best player on this no. on this tennis court. Not one point. It was it was an absolute testament to the spirit and iron will of Nadal that he won that third set and made made the fourth competitive and very nearly pushed a fifth. Tennis-wise, team was better throughout, I thought. Uh, and he won both tie breaks. And then in the, the third set, he still felt like the better player until, I can't remember the exact point, but I remember the, the visual of it. There was a rally when he was at the far end of the court from where I was sitting, where he suddenly dropped two ground strokes short. And he didn't make proper contact with them. They, he sort of miscued them. And then he just dumped one. He sort of rolled one into the net, halfway up the net, without any power. And it really just, a, it was trying to rear rally shot. And that was in one rally. And I thought immediately, he's in trouble here because his nerve's gone. He's tightening up. He can't, he can't feel the racket anymore. And, and I think it was 10, 10 minutes before it was suddenly two sets to one. You know, it just turned Lost immediately. eight points in a row, didn't he, in that? Sequence. I mean, yeah, it was just, it was so, it's, it's rare that something's among the, the very elite. It's rare that a weakness is suddenly that blatant. 
And yet, uh, yeah, we, we, and yet we all felt, I think pretty much we all felt he would still win. Even though he'd suffered this horrible attack of nerves, he, he was just a better player overall. And all he needed to do is get back into that mode. Now, it would be very easy to sort of, A, lose that, lose that flow, and also Nadal to, to grow in confidence and maybe take over. But it just never felt like that was going to happen to me. Apart from, apart from the nerves and the choking, because it happened later on in the fourth set as well, when he was on the brink a few times, but I always felt he'd get over the line. And I, 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 I put a lot of that feeling of it just being different down to, well, it's chicken and egg, I suppose, down to that agitation, although Nadal wouldn't accept that word. Um, if Nadal, you, you don't see him like that. He I looked rattled to he me. He was so rattled, and he, he, he knew that team had him. D- down the near he, end of the court where we were, I, I tweeted about it. I said, I don't think I've ever seen him look this irritated, this angry on a court, just about things not going the way they're supposed to go. He, he, he was as close to sort of showing a, um, a visual temper as I've ever seen it. But he was doing that thing. He turned his back for he would he would shank a forehand or, or miss a miss a shot. Miss a I mean, more off, more often it was forehands tonight. He'd miss one, and he'd turn his back first before then grimacing or really reacting, doing a negative face because he didn't want to show it to Dominic Team. Didn't want to show him that, that how much it was getting to him. That that he that he knew. I think that he was being. As you both say, beaten at his own game. That that's tough to take for for Nadal. Really tough to take, and it felt I, it, there was sort of a, a in entirely sporting ways a, a sort of a bitterness coming out of him tonight. I think that's a bitter pill for him to swallow. Yeah, and that's that's a fair point. And actually, I found his post-match press comments remarks on the subject really enlightening when he was asked about the difference out there today and he said he's younger was the first thing he said Mm. he's younger the balls were heavy he hits the ball incredibly hard it was a it was an admission that this guy physically outmatched me he said and he and he also referenced the dominic team speed around the court which this is the first match that I've ever realised he had that. I'm, oh. sure, I'm sure it's... Look, he hasn't suddenly got faster tonight, but it's the first time I've realised what we're, what we're dealing with here. He is as quick as anybody in the world. Me too. I hadn't quite processed that he is... I mean, we were chatting about it a bit on WhatsApp earlier. Maybe Alex Duminor. Maybe. Um, Novak Djokovic at full pelt, but I, st- I still don't... I, I don't think there's anyone quicker than him. And it's, I really don't. Maybe one or two match him, but and it's the way he uses his speed powerfully. Yeah, he, and he launches himself he launches into a ball. Launches himself the, into it. He doesn't just get there. He gets there and then is on balance. Is on balance and lands. Right. And then he's off again. It's the yeah. foot speed combined with it's this incredible core strength. The torque he's able to get. The balance and the torque once he gets there. He's he's just an incredibly. Mm balanced individual isn't he physically is we were we were talking earlier about how Wawrinka Nadal is never a good match and we were and we were thinking well team Nadal is so why is Wawrinka Nadal not and we were thinking of the differences between Wawrinka and team and you know there are 
there are subtle differences in the way team hits his ground strokes. He hits them with a lot more spin than Wawrinka, and he's able to get Nadal off the, off the middle of the court a lot more than Wawrinka is with angles. But when I was watching that match, I thought the main difference is team speed compared to Wawrinka. You said that it feels like team is a kind of 2020s upgrade on Wawrinka in that, in that respect, and I thought that was just right. It's just... Wawrinka is so physical, but it's it's purely kind of power of shots and his ability to last physically in matches, or it has been in the past. Brute, so today, brute strength. It's brute strength. It's you know he beat, he beat you in an arm wrestle or a, you know pushing contest or something. But with team, it's the physicality of his of his movement of his of his ground strokes of everything about his tennis is physical, and so is Nadal's. And for team to outdo Nadal in that respect is mind-boggling. And when was the last time you saw Nadal, who's so good at the net and so good at setting himself up for an easy volley but always having soft enough hands and the the right instincts to put it away? There were a number of times today where he he either played a drop shot and team got there, Mm. and, and not just got there but absolutely lashed a forehand past him, or just outfoxed him at the net with 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 he had the answers whether he's on the run and full stretch and coming up with something or the touches or the lobs whatever it was Nadal was left just bereft at times and he also missed quite a few simple volleys probably as a as a consequence of what team was doing to him putting that doubt in his mind thinking he had to make the volley even better because team would get there if he didn't yeah just I think I was that was quite away. a lot of a factor tonight in his frustration and some of his more surprising errors. Just that feeling of powerlessness in the, in the face of. And the Dow said he played well team. in the in the yeah, press conference. He, he said, did. "I played he well. I'm happy with my attitude." I mean, I would. And look, I don't. I'm not saying he had a bad attitude. All, all, all I'm saying is relatively what you to what you normally say from Nadal. That was as frustrated as I've seen him look. Now he refutes that. Okay, fair enough. He knows better than me in that regard. Um, but he said, "I'm happy with my attitude. I, I thought I was positive. I thought I tried everything. I didn't quit. I kept on moving forwards. And yet, he still didn't win. He didn't win against not not a sort of you know not not Federer." slashing his backhand or not Djokovic with the kryptonite kryptonite, and this was another guy another guy on a hard court who just took him down he was asked what what would you have liked to have done different tonight and he said won a tie break or two won won any tie break (laughs) won any tie break and he also had a a set two with the umpire didn't he Mm. what was that about Yes, yeah, so he was time, was a, time violation. Yeah, time violation. There was a really one of many explosive, dynamic rallies, twenty shots or so, and then the next point, just just before he was about to serve, Nadal was given a time violation. The clock had run down to zero, and he hadn't started his motion. And he went over and had a had a word with the umpire, orally taught, and and said, um, "You don't like the good tennis." Twice, I think he said that. Um, his point being that he thinks after after a long rally that there should be some kind of discretion and umpires should start the clock a bit later or just allow the players a bit more time. And he actually just said in the in the Spanish portion of his press conference that he thinks by not allowing that extra time, it's a it's a showing that you don't really 
understand or appreciate the sport of tennis was, was, was the words he used I've heard Spanish. him say that sort of thing before I have yeah um, now I think Orly taught was absolutely right to to call the time violation because that that isn't the rule I think the question is whether maybe the rule does need looking at because I, I can understand that Oz point on that that it doesn't feel right that an ace you get 25 seconds and then a massive long rally you get 25 seconds but isn't that only exposed by somebody that is pushing the uh, the 25 seconds it doesn't mean please take 25 seconds no, every single time that that's kind of allowing for a bit of extra time the, after the, a longer more i'm not saying there shouldn't be any discretion in, in extreme circumstances the but the problem it, you have is it, one umpire does it one way yeah. and another does it another way yeah that's true. And it, I don't think she did anything wrong. So no, I, I she, can understand his frustration with the... She carried it out to the letter of the law. Um, it's well, I think, she, personally, I think she was exercising some discretion because he... Certainly was later. He is, yeah. Yes. She, Le- was not, she was not punishing every time he overran the shot clock. Well, and it was noticeable, um, Marion kept drawing our attention to the fact that when the players at the end of the game were coming to sit down, she didn't start the clock on them sitting down until they were already sat down, mm. for instance. You know, she was giving a little... And, mm-hmm. when, and when, they, when, when it was time up and they were supposed to stand up, she was giving them a bit longer. She was... I mean, look, we, we, all, we had all this, didn't we, with Carlos Ramos and Serena Williams that the US Open is, is match management and there's the absolute rules and then there's the sort of, well... At what point do I think I don't want to inflame a, a situation? It, and which one's right? I don't always know what which one's right out of those things. It's it's a tough job. What I did like, and it was the same last night, is these umpires who were just not kowtowing to the big name. They were. She was trying to do her job correctly, no matter who it was, and whether you agreed exactly with her, the way she deployed. Uh, the rules, that's up, to, that's up to the individual. But I think once in a while we do see umpires occasionally bend, and I don't like that. Oh, for sure. Well, I, mem- I remember Sitsipas talked about it quite a lot last year, that he thought the top players, and pretty much referring to the big three, I think, do get a slight preferential treatment from umpires in terms of those sorts of situations. They're, they're more lenient with them. Mm. Um, and... You know that's that's two days in a row now. Mariana Veljevic and Orly Tort have, you know, stood up to Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, and and are not going to to umpire the match any differently than they would with someone else. And yeah. that's that's exactly how it should be. But they're also not trying to make a point of being authoritarian or anything. They're just no, no nonsense doing their thing. It's yeah. great. They're no, not they're not trying to be buddies. With the players, no, I, I, I really like seeing the fact that they just get on with the job yeah. and mm. do the job. That's what we're here for. Um, so good for them. Um, it means that Catherine. I just feel like we should mention Nadal's challenge on match points. Oh, yes. oh yeah, because it is. I was looking away best, at that. Time. It is the best challenge that's, that's ever happened. I, I wasn't. I was doing a report for Five Live at the time, and I wasn't able to see what was going on. Explain what happened. So, team gets to six four in the in the tiebreak, and on his first match point, he hits a great serve, gets the short ball, and dumps a forehand into the net. 
And and at this point, we've point already gone. seen him uh, uh, fail to serve it, get broken to love the first time, attempting to serve it out. Next match point, a one of their usual great rallies ensues, and team throws up a lob really, really high. Nadal does his usual thing of backpedaling, gets right behind it, sees it land, and there's no call. And Nadal stops the point. Doesn't even attempt to play a smash. Stops the point. On match On point. match point. And time seemed to stand still, didn't it? Because the match could have been over. Yes, so that if that ball was even a millimetre in, that was the match there. Team, team would have won it because Nadal didn't make a play and he stopped the point. I mean, I must say, how bold of Nadal to do it because... It, it was it, it was actually reasonably far out. It wasn't like it a, wasn't a good call. It wasn't a great call because it's coming. It's one thing you know, a top spin shot that's shooting through. This was coming down um, longitudinally yeah. onto, onto and, the line. And, and slowly, it's, it's a relatively easy call to could, make. Could the line judge have been unsighted? Maybe or well, you, by, they have to say when they're unsighted, don't right. they? Yeah. I think they Nadal was behind the ball, so I don't think so too much. Uh, it was the baseline umpire, uh, line judge. But yeah, how how gutsy of Nadal! I couldn't believe Time what I'd seen. Stopped. Yeah, it was extraordinary. <laughs> it, it was unbelievable. And anybody else, you'd think that's the most. Even if they'd been validated, it's still stupid <laughs> because it's a risk. But it, I mean, doesn't feel that way with Nadal. You feel like he's just got that incredible presence of mind to to make a. A rational judgment in that moment and trust trust his sight. You know, McEnroe used to say when he was contesting line calls, I genuinely saw them in or out or whatever it was. I it, I wasn't just arguing for the sake of you know I wasn't lying. I saw it wrong. My 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 eyes deceived me. And of course, I'm sure that happens to everyone in times of stress, except for Rafael Nadal. <laughs> I mean, it was just what was unreal. It, what was it like in the stadium at that point? Because you two were in the press seats, weren't you? I was in the commentary box, but you know, behind a window, so I couldn't hear what, what the commotion would have been like. It was going mad. The place was going mad. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was a sense of chaos, really. Mm. What Ca- have you done? <laughs> Yeah. Um, Time stopped. Yeah. And then it was okay because he was all right. But then. Well, it was okay in that it was sort of 6 5 and just all the normal tension (laughs) just took over. Still held it together. Yeah. Just about. He was. It was helpful for him, I think, to have a a tie break to finish it off. I don't think he he didn't enjoy serving it out, as as we've discussed. the biggest tell of his nerves ever when his second serve almost hit the baseline. He needs his arm to feel loose, doesn't he? Yeah. Because it's not yeah. as much as it is a... Media announcement, Dominic Team is now on his oh. way to the main interview room. As much as it is, it's an it's incredibly powerful game. It's slightly less muscular power than, than Nadal. I mean, it feels muscular, but it comes from a slightly different place. It's, There's a it's, whiplash. It's mm. more... Yeah, it's more Vavrinka-esque, isn't it? The other thing I noticed, when he he hurtles side to side and he's on the full run and then he just does the full take back, when he hits the ball from from behind where we are, court court level, it's like he's put it in a catapult or or he's put it in a a bazooka and it just goes off off into the distance Mm. and you can't... 
you can't quite believe what you're seeing because it doesn't have any... When he hits that backhand full on, it doesn't have any spin on it at all. It's and he, just like a... And he did one of those at six all in the tiebreak to pass Nadal on his, on his backhand. And, and we often talk about the way Nadal has essentially invented a new shot with his forehand. You know, never seen anything mm. like it before. And Djokovic, the way he can hit offensive shots from defensive positions. Well, the way team hits that backhand, open stance, one-handed at such pace, I don't know any, I don't think anyone else can do that. Matt looked at me open-mouthed when he did that and said, no one else can do that. Because just, just thinking, whenever Federer hits a backhand, he takes a big step into it. It's with his right foot, he steps yeah. into it. Which is more conventional. Which is more conventional, but team, open stance, sort of slid into it and had his left foot near the ball. I... It was. It blew my mind. <laughs> we, we spent most of those four hours, ten minutes, just with our marveling, just with mouths wide open. It was jaw dropping tennis. Um, one final footnote for Team falling backwards onto his ass, uh, sort of doing a sideways somersault and still winning the points <laughs> against yes. Nadal. He wins <laughs> yeah. a baseline rally against Nadal. He fell over when he was on his. Now in the main interview room. Who earlier is now in the interview room on his ass on the press conference seat. <laughs> but he was literally ass on the tarmac, on the hard court, on the cement. And then he gets up and he still wins a baseline rally against <laughs> Rafael Nadal. Unbelievable. Goat. Goat, yeah. Um, so he now faces Alexander Zverev, who is into his first... Uh, ever Grand Slam semi-final and he did emphatically lose his no sets dropped record in the first set against Stan Wawrinka 6-1 but he made a very very good comeback and won the match I think he he served more than 80% first serves in which well if he carries that on I mean he's going to take some stopping even by team it is a miraculous transformation team sorry Zverev could not serve Three weeks ago. No. He couldn't serve. He was an embarrassment at the yeah, ATP Cup. It was a total disaster. His whole game, his whole attitude, and in particular his serve. And then he goes out there today, and after a slow start against Wawrinka, it becomes the dominant weapon that it can be. And every time he was getting that first serve in, it felt like Wawrinka didn't, couldn't get in the rallies. It was just so dominant such a weapon for him mm. like it like it should be it's it's to his absolute credit that he somehow managed to do this and he's I'm, done it by repetition is what he says i've just been out on that practice court and i've just hit thousands of serves which i mean which is exactly what you should do but i think two things that i like about zverev i don't you know i've not warmed to him like i've warmed to other players i'm quite happy to admit that there are a few reasons for it i think his his approach in press conferences i think is the sense sometimes that he he thinks he's arrived when he hadn't um the the there there are one or two things there but at the same time i love the fact that he's totally in love with tennis he he is obsessed with the game he he desperately desperately wants to be the best he can be and and I find that quite disarming because he, he shows his vulnerability when he's talking in those terms. And his commitment is total. You see that, that he's desperate and he's going he's gonna to put it in in order to try to turn that, that serve around. And, and, he, and he did in this particular match. Now, um, 
hearing Mark Woodford say in our commentary box today uh, that he doesn't feel 100% that he sorted all this out, that he thinks this might be might end up being a bit of a sticking plaster. He feels that it could still come undone um, any time, the serve and the forehand. Cause, and the forehand we were watching, he kept dumping forehands in the net or hitting them long. Um, so I don't feel I don't feel that confident that I don't I think teams should win that semi-final um, but I'm not 100 you know I'm not I'm not cast iron on it on it either I mean Zverev wasn't the playmaker at all today against Stanford Rinker it's not like he suddenly started playing different tennis and and stopped being perhaps more defensive than a, a lot of people think he should be. I mean, obviously, the serve is an incredible um, attacking weapon when it's firing like like it is. But in terms of the baseline, he's, he's not owning the baseline, I don't think. I mean, he lost the first set heavily because Vavrinka was making the play and they were going in. And he won the subsequent three sets um, pretty decisively because it stopped going in for Vavrinka. Now, Zverev wasn't missing. He played really well, lovely. There's a smoothness to his strokes that are really, really pleasing. But the, the first set was evidence that if someone's going for it and, and taking it on and, and, it, and it's going in, he's. I, I do think there's still a vulnerability there. And I think team should be able to exploit that better than Wawrinka for the full yeah. best of five sets. The movement will help. His the, own serve will help. I think Team, uh, at one stage I, I saw, had won, I think, f- 46 of 52 first serve points that yeah. he played. Yeah. One note of caution I slightly have about Team, and I'm, I'm a total believer, and I do, I do think he'll come through that. I think he's... I think he really could win the title here, I do. Um... The, the way he was attempting to serve out the match today, it really made me realise what a monumental hurdle and achievement it now is for him to beat Nadal at a slam. Yeah. Bigger than any other. It would be bigger than beating Federer or Djokovic. I mean, he's beaten Djokovic at a slam. But it's just so much bigger than... Than anything else, for because him. it's his type of player that Absolutely. He's, he's trying to become Nadal. Mm. Yeah, and and that it's been his benchmark, hasn't it? He had the the French Open semi final, and then the French Open final where he didn't get a set, and then last year the French Open final where he made it a bit. You know, it was I'm getting closer. That's what we said in the podcast afterwards, isn't it? It was his Andy Murray, yeah. I'm getting closer moment, and then this was his. I mean, I know he's not won anything. Yeah, but this was his Olympic gold medal stepping stone to Grand Slam moment for me. And I do, as I say, I'm still a believer. I'm still backing him to win that semi-final. But I, I do think there's a, a just a bit of caution about a potential letdown after it could feel like the summit. Yeah, could do. Yeah. yeah. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Massive hurdle overcome mentally as well for Zverev. As big a hurdle to, to, to reach a semi-final. And how... How charming was he in that post-match press conference, post-match interview on court, just by letting everybody in the arena know about that, about how much it meant to him? There was no, there was no being cool about it. He he was he was like a kid. It was it was real. I li- I like that. Mm. I like seeing that. I've always thought the best Verev is the on the on court interviews. Verev, he's he's charming. He just thrives in those situations. And McEnroe told him about his serve being a problem he said yeah but also my forehand my backhand my drop shots <laughs> my, my volleys. volleys my waking up in the morning <laughs> you know and it was great the crowd were loving it McEnroe um, said are you gonna what are you what are you hoping for what are you are you looking forward to team against Nadal tonight he said oh, I'm looking forward to watching it in my air-conditioned hotel room with a with a glass of coke and <laughs> watching them go for six hours and yeah get sweaty that's my assessment that's my hope <laughs> and I must say another thing he mentioned in that on court interview and again in the press conference was about his relationship with his father who's yeah. obviously his coach and I rem- remember watching the HP Cup a few weeks ago and thinking that that situation had reached boiling point and how sad was it because it his, was da- so his, sad. his dad was in tears his, his dad was in tears while Zverev berated him and shouted at him and, and, and was lost was utterly bereft completely so it, it strikes me that they've been some crisis talks. Some crisis talks since then, and they've and they've worked it out. And Zverev. Announcement: Could Robert Chazari Gurjev from 
Community Radio. Please come to the interview desk. Pronunciations are hard, folks. You've just, it's just important that you try. Yeah, we will. There was something about the way Zverev spoke about wanting to prove that it was, it was his fault that his tennis wasn't good in the last year, not his dad's fault, which, which I felt quite strongly. I, it, it hit me that, actually. And he was taking ownership yeah. of the last, and, and of their, the last their year. Their attitude post-ATP Cup was, let's get back to work. Yeah. Um, and you, you've got to have a lot of respect for that, I think. Mm. It was his rock bottom. I think, mm. and he and he really is talking about how the lower expectations are helping him here yeah. because he he actually says something interesting in that he's always treated the slams differently in his mind, which we often think is the right thing to do. You want to be peaking for these events, but he's not figured out the way to peak. He, he thought to peak he needed to do things differently not go out to dinner in the evening completely be focused on his tennis yeah. and he was obsessed with it he, was, he, he said he was impatient to, do you, do you remember, to get the success do you remember Andy Murray saying something like that recently I mean I think maybe in that little interview after his, uh, his documentary aired that, that sometimes he it's just working on tennis and thinking about tennis all the time sometimes you know what probably if he did had a chance again he might have just tried to learn how to relax a bit more mm. and not worry so much about it all um very difficult to do uh, I, know, I know that from my own work i find it sometimes disengaging isn't easy um but no he's he's really grown a bit i think um as very of this fortnight no matter what happens in the semi-final I, I hope he does himself justice i hope he doesn't freeze i hope he plays well regardless of what the result is it'd be it'd be good be good for him and it'd be good for kind of this generation really just to show up at this mm. slam and um and have a good result and at least there is going to be a first time finalist they are good friends oh, yeah. and team which can often go one of two ways can't it i'm sure it will help them both feel comfortable but it can feel a bit weird sometimes when when friends are playing each other mm. will team have that same edge she had as you've put Catherine, of really wanting to beat nadal today mm. That'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see. How good was Simona Halep today? Sublime. She, I mean, she played at 11 o'clock, by about 11.45. It was over. 6-1, 6-1 um, against Annette Contivate in her first Grand Slam quarterfinal. So perhaps that was also a factor. But she wasn't really allowed to play. Um, Halep just, just, just got everything back and just made life a nightmare. Well, the best tennis I've ever seen... Simone Hallett play was the Wimbledon final last year against Serena where she made four unforced errors in two sets and she was asked to compare her level to that Wimbledon final today and she didn't say it wasn't as good she didn't say it was you know that level but she she didn't shut it down she mm. thinks she's playing as well as she ever has I, I believe that um, I believe it too and what you say about her about her defence is is what mainly strikes you when you watch Halep and it's what Contivate said she didn't feel her shots were having any impact because Halep was there getting them back must be a horrible feeling must be awful but also it's a bit like it's a bit like Djokovic then she's not a defensive player when she's at her best she's an aggressive player with the best defence in the world but she's trying to play on the front foot she's trying to dictate and she was doing that against Contivate a lot of the time she was rushing Contivate herself so if she's got both departments working, 
Mm. How do you beat her? Feels hers to lose. Maybe Garbini Magarutha can beat her. She beat Anastasia Pavlovchenkova today. Magarutha against Halep, which is what we expected. Um, I would make Halep the favourite, but Magarutha's always got that little bit of X factor about her, hasn't she? Because she's won two Grand Slam titles and because she believes that if she plays her best tennis, she beats everybody. Mm. That's how she approaches things. Yeah, there were interesting similarities and contrasts um, with the Zverev press conference from from Muguruza's press conference today in that she unashamedly um, cares about the slams more than anything else and doesn't doesn't think that needs adjustment at all. Then, of course, they're at different stages of their careers. She's, I mean, Zverev has had highs and lows, but she's had more extreme and of course she's you know she's already won a couple of grand slam titles but she's like yeah it's about slams for me you know the fact that in after after her last match she was um un, un, unabashedly talking about the the career slam you know this is what matters to her history is what matters to her mm. um but then the there were comparisons in terms of she's she's pretty reluctant to talk about her um tribulations over the past couple of years and you know she doesn't really engage with chat about her drop off in ranking she said she doesn't really she she admits to there having been challenging times but she says she doesn't really look at ranking she doesn't read in read into those that much but she was asked kind of the the question was kind of rephrased a bit and put to her to try and get her to expand a bit on on how tough it's been and 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 what's dragged her out of it, um, I suppose, other than Conchita Martinez, which is the obvious link. Um, and she said that that what she found hardest over the last year or so is the feeling of working hard, maybe even working harder than you ever have, and it's still not clicking because there is this mantra. In, in a sort of post X Factor world, and th- there's lots positive about it. We heard Caroline Wozniacki um, say it in her parting press conference that if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. Right? That's this sort of, and there's there's obviously positive messaging in there. But then, what about when you're working as hard as you possibly can, possibly even too hard? See yeah. Andy Murray, yeah. and it's still not happening and because we all know it is not just about hard work. And what has Verev said? You know, uh, he feels that he he's almost too professional. So, it wouldn't have been a bad thing to maybe go and have a beer and just relax for a bit. I, I've definitely experienced it myself: burnout just by pushing too hard. Because when actually just chilling out for a bit sometimes and decompressing is good for you um and, and it's really difficult to know when to do which it's really difficult sometimes you need that's why you need good people around you isn't it that's why they need a good coach and it's a brave thing to do when your results are rubbish to go i'm gonna have a beer i'm not gonna go <laughs> no. to the gym you know of, of course especially as professional athletes you know your instinct is i'll spend more time in the gym you know when when zverev lost i think it was after the it was after a victory, but after one of his unnecessary five setters at the US Open, he came onto the practice courts behind our Amazon studio and he was on there for another two hours. And 
Of course it was impressive. Everybody was just mesmerised by his commitment. But I just thought, how can this possibly be Helpful. the right thing? He just played a five-setter. It wasn't like, oh, you know, I've just won in 55 minutes. I'd, I'd better get myself yeah. a proper workout. Um, mm. Okay. Well, all good. Uh, what a day. What a day we've had. Um, and it leaves us with tomorrow play starting once again at 11 o'clock local time but with the doubles semi-finals of Doddig and Polisek against Purcell and Luke Saville uh, it's not before 2 o'clock in the afternoon for Ash Barty and Sophia Kennan um, then followed by Halep against Muguruza and then the evening match is Roger Federer against Novak Djokovic I've just run into Craig Tiley and had a chat with him and I asked him whether the framework that we've seen for the order of play over the last three days of a single match in the night session and it always being men, whether that is how it is from now on. And he said no. He said it'll change every year. There are different factors that this is not a new set-in-stone order of play uh, for those days. Um, and he was he was categoric about that. So, what are the factors? M- multiple. Um, right. In as much as I mean, look, this is what he said: is there are so many factors to to fa- to consider uh, when doing an order of play. Um, for instance, he said, "I have had the men." I can have the male players complaining about having only two of the five matches on the Rod Laver Arena um, and saying that they're penalised because they're playing best of five sets and therefore, I imagine he means the tours um, rather than individual male players. And obviously the women, the women's tour, as we've highlighted, are not getting the showtime, the primetime slot at all in week two um, in the evening session, which I find... I I just feel that that should be right at the top of the list of priorities to even that out. Um, I don't care how you do it logistically, but I feel like it should be happening. Um, And look, I do understand his conundrum generally from a logistical point of view. I've I've seen the behind the scenes at 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 a... big tournament at Queen's many many years and it's not a slam like this I know what it's I know what he would be up against I just feel that like parity of uh, stage should be of paramount importance Um, push comes to shove it's the same thing that always gets shoved it's not an accident um, it's because the that certainly happened this year it's on a slope playing field isn't level to start with but it's not set in stone is what he said at all um and you know it'll be different he said it'll be different next year but i mean what is set in stone at the australian open and has been for years is the women's semi-finals taking place in the day yeah and and he he did say that that that, that's not changing I mean, or, or there's no plan for that to change as things stand. But my query was over those first three days, which are so different to a year ago, and whether that was a new policy. Mm. And he said, no, it wasn't. A lot of people have been pointing out um, that it's basically been impossible to follow the women's competition in Europe. Yeah. Because it's all taking place in the middle of the night. And, and actually, when I, when I was reading out the order of play on BBC Radio today, I was saying, you know, we'll... we'll 
keep you up to date with Ash Barty and Simona Alap, but it'll be two, three, four in the morning and uh, UK time. Look, and I know the UK isn't the only important territory. I mean, there's people all around the world listening to this podcast, I'm happy to say, and you're all on different time zones. Um, but it is a consideration, and the bigger consideration for me more generally is that even though Ash Barty wants to play in the afternoon, and I totally get that for her chances, what a shame that there's so many people who are at school or at work, and that's a shame. Yeah, it's gonna. If she goes out, at, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Thursday, it would be like, did it really happen? And more generally, the because bigger audience, the bigger audience is in the evening, and therefore, I just feel that they should, they should just have that. Why is equal. what's right? Not that I know there are loads of factors, but why is what's right not a dominating fact? Why does that not? Ugh, it's I mean, I would imagine the answer that somebody in in that position would give is what's right to you isn't necessarily what's right in inverted commas in terms of most important to them um i agree with you catherine um but you know that that's where we are um so i thought i'd let you know um what i had uh, what i managed to get out of that conversation uh margaret Corderina tomorrow we'll see joe salisbury first up uh, in the double semi-finals alongside Rajiv Ram against Bublik and Kukushkin. Bublik as a doubles player in the semi-finals. I thought that would be quite entertaining. Uh, and then there are mixed doubles quarter-finals on those courts as well. There's the final of the quad wheelchair doubles with Dylan Alcott and Davidson against Andy Lapthorm and Wagner. Um, and, yeah, there's some Legends matches. There's loads of junior matches. We will get into those when we get into the weekend and we get into the final Andy stages. Andy Lapthorne's made a complaint today. He's, he's tagged us and a number of other people in on a tweet about um, lack of parity in pay and in draw size from the quad uh, wheelchair singles which is what he competes in to, in comparison to the other wheelchair events now I haven't had the chance to look into that um, I've just seen the the, the, the headline of it mm. um, and obviously on, on the face of it, it it doesn't feel quite right but I am I'm going to try and set some time aside to investigate yeah. a little further see if we can find out and on the subject of um, of I guess you could say controversies. Uh, Martin and Avratilova and John McEnroe today issued apologies, qualified apologies at least, uh, for breaking the protocol of the Australian Open's accreditation rules. Um, Martina said she wasn't aware of the of the detail of the protocol, uh, and she shouldn't have protested in the way that she did on Margaret Quarterina. Um, and still stands by everything she says and thinks, but should have done it in a different way. Um, John McEnroe said, I've never followed rules, and uh, <laughs> I haven't followed them this time. But uh, but I have lots of respect for the Australian Open. And, um, yeah, basically the, they they needed to come to a a solution that didn't involve... McEnroe and Navratilova having their accreditation removed and being thrown off site. So uh, that uh, sounds like what uh, what they've they've come up with. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, you know, like I say, there are rules that we all have to sign up to when we get our accreditation badges. And uh, and I suspect John and Martina probably aren't fine print readers when it comes to that. Um, 
and there's the Evans. So anyway, that's happened, and we roll on to tomorrow or today. Later today. <laughs> It is 1.39am. Let's go to bed, folks. Uh, have we got any shout-outs, Matt? Oh, yes, we have. Um, to Michael Thomas, to Susan Sutherland, and to Lee Ferguson. Michael Thomas. He scored the winning goal for Arsenal in the league title race with Liverpool in 1989. Um, is it that one? <laughs> Hello, Michael. Hello, Michael. Thanks please, for listening. Please to let tennis. us know. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Podcast. And who else we got? Susan. Susan Sutherland. Susan Sutherland. And Lee Ferguson. Lee. Excellent. Thank you all. Lots of... And I, f- I found all out... All of those could be footballers. Yeah. And I found out today that the famous cricketer Steve Smith is a listener. Hello, Steve. Hello, Steve. He hasn't even backed us on the Kickstarter and he we still gets, still gets a shout-out. He could, he could, have he could be anonymous. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. Famous listeners. He's not tennis a flashy podcast. guy, is he? Huh? L- like proper nerdy tennis fan is he, he l- yeah he was there tonight he l- lives and breathes he's listening to this you don't want to call him a nerd I don't know if he's a- I think he would take it as a compliment oh, okay. nerds Steve for all the world Smith. David right David it's Steve Smith we're, we're nerds living around this table so um, we're, we're right behind it okay. I don't know if he's like a religious listener well, I he, of course I've he is got no reason not to think so but I know he does listen alright Steve uh, okay um, so we will be back tomorrow with another tennis podcast, uh, or later today, or you know, probably will be tomorrow. Early hours, <laughs> obviously. Uh, Federer playing. What we got any predictions Not going on? Well, there's well, the, the, there's chatter. Uh, Is anybody going for Federer? I don't want to deflate everyone's balloon, mm. but there are rumours. Who's going for Federer? Well, no, there are rumours that it might not happen. Oh. Why? Pay yourself for some legends doubles. I don't, where, where this I don't think anyone is saying that it, it won't happen, but I think it's something that we do need to be prepared for. Right. Okay. That was he was not in a good shape, Federer, two days ago. And he doesn't retire from matches. He doesn't retire from matches. Mm-hmm. Is he stepping on that court if he's not feeling good? I don't given the bloke down the other end given the bloke down the other end if he's not sure he can finish he's not going to start hmm. okay well we'll wait and see shall we um, but tune into the podcast tomorrow anyway folks. <laughs> anyway yeah all you Federer fans <laughs> we know you love it anyway <laughs> whatever um, and before that Barty Barty to win we're going to got a Barty, Barty in three I think on, I don't underestimate Kenan I don't think anyone should but Barty in three nervy sets yeah I think yeah. it is going to be nervy yeah Everywhere, tense yeah. yeah this is the tense one yeah, yeah. okay so. and what I really like about Hallett Magruther just thinking about it is whoever wins will have the chance to play for the third quarter of their career slam which which mm. feels like such a significant. They've, b- they've both got factor. the same, haven't they've they? They've both got the s- same slams. They're missing the hard court one. Delicious. Mm. It know, is great. Do you know yeah. what I'd do? I, if I were you, listeners, I'd go and get on Reddit and join our tennis community and a chat with everybody about all this. There are some very creepy mat based memes doing the rounds. They're quite funny. <laughs> He's not laughing. I never thought I would become a meme. <laughs> But it's happened. Uh, I, I've had to look up what a meme is uh, in the Urban Dictionary. Um, and it still didn't really make any sense to me. Um, anyway, our Reddit group uh, link is in the show notes. S- s- scan down and sign up to that. 
uh, and also our newsletter, which is coming out fairly soon with Matt's stat and with our predictions for tomorrow. Um, and don't forget to tell people you know about the tennis podcast. I've heard you're doing a pretty good job of it on the whole, but I think you can do better. And I know this because our numbers keep going up, which we love. So keep doing it so that every time I look at the numbers, they're higher. All right, there's your job. Go and do it. We'll see you tomorrow. 